Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What? Are we ready? See, si, that's Spanish. See si what? Did you know I knew Spanish? I did not. <laughs> I know Spanish. How do you say just like butter in Spanish? Um, see. Si. Well, it's something to do with Montequilla. I, I, I don't know what the first one would be. Solamente something or other Montequilla? I don't know. Hey, we should have a contest. Whoever sends good. in the correct, just like butter in Spanish, wins something. Oh, I'll go. I could go for that. Okay. Oh, I could make some shit up, too. But that's what I usually do. Okay. Well, that sounds good. This is Just Like Butter. We're at Ruben's Burger Bistro in Boulder, Colorado, and talking about a very uh, off... Delicate topic. Yeah, a delicate very, very topic. delicate topic. So, you know, last time we were in here, women's soccer was all over the television screens. And today on the big screen, we've got the Tour de France going on. I know. I love it. I, I, I really like women's soccer, but I, I, uh, I like the Tour de France a bit more, I think. So kind of what's up with the Tour this year? I'm almost getting a NASCAR feel out of it. Yeah, I actually posted something on Twitter about that the other day. Just the fact that it, it seems like NASCAR, there's, there's so many crashes, and then they replay the crashes over and over and over again. And, and I don't watch crashes. I, I look away. And, in, you know, with, with the amount of times they replay and they try and sneak the crashes up on you, I still end up seeing a lot of crashes. But, you know, in, in, the, in the world I come from, in the, in the world of racing that I grew up in, you don't talk about crashing. You don't look at crashing. Like even on social media now, when people post fo- post videos of crashes, I don't watch them. Like you know, I, I won't watch the crash bit. I'll see what's coming and turn it off because it's just you, you don't you don't look where you don't want to go. You you don't look at crashes. You you look at staying upright. You look at riding. You know, when I got hit by the deer at the end of November, I could not believe how many people posted on my Facebook page. Pictures of deer jumping out in front of the road, in front of uh, yeah. riders. It was, and that really freaked me out. I mean, no you exaggeration. Don't, you don't want that in your brain. You no. don't. You don't put it in your mind. And it's, and um, you know, like I said, back back in the day, we didn't. You don't talk about crashing. You don't discuss crashing. And now, just the Tour de France coverage with there's a lot of crashes. There's an unbelievable amount of crashes, and they replay every crash over and over and over again. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to watch the Tour de France coverage. I don't watch the Tour de France coverage to see crashes. Like we were talking about going to a NASCAR race where they go to see the crashes and the, you know, the big clouds of smoke. I watch the Tour de France to see the kick-ass racing and to see those guys getting after it and and to, you know, watch the skill. And when you see 20 replays of the same friggin' crash, 
it's it's just upsetting. I don't want to see it. Well, unlike pro football, I mean, you bring in instant replay to kill dead time. There is no dead time during the tour. No, no, they're going all the time. I mean, the, you know, the beginning of the stages, it can be, uh, you know, it's not maybe riveting because, oh, yeah. they, you know, a lot of times they're just riding. Actually, I mean, in the last probably 10 years, the tour is just full throttle all the time. I mean, think about it. Like stage two this year, they were going full gas. And, you know, stage three and four, you get crosswinds. And they're trying to, the teams are trying to split the pack to get time on their rivals in the first two and three days. I mean, that is just ridiculous. Do you think that's part of the increase in crashes? Well, funny you should ask, because I wrote a whole bunch of pages here <laughs> about um, what I, why I think there are so many crashes. And we, this could probably, we could probably stretch this out into several shows, maybe um, at least three or four shows. <laughs> but... Um, I gotta get a picture that proves you can read. I yeah, I can read. read. I have my reading glasses on too. Um, yeah, it's just I, I think the the um, well, you know I want to bring up back in '85, '86 when Seven uh, Eleven and a group of Americans went over and entered the tour. Crashing was a huge topic because they were saying, oh, the inexperienced Americans the are Americans. coming over here and they're going to ruin the tour. Yeah, I remember um, the, the 7-Eleven guys crashed in the in the team time trial. That's right. And, uh, uh, Alex and, and everyone was like, God, who are these losers? And, you know, now that's just like, oh, someone crashed in the team time trial? No big deal. I mean, that's, that's half of the course. And that, you know, to me, that is just completely unacceptable. And so... Um, I just I think there's a lot of pressure on these teams now to perform. There's a lot of pressure on from from the first day for these teams to get in the limelight, to rack up points, to get in the jerseys, to to make time on their rivals. And these riders are just under pressure all the time. And um, you know I read actually an interesting article from uh, Jim Okowitz that was in Velo News last week. Um, just about the size, the size of the pelotons and numbers of teams, and it's pretty. It's actually funny because he's citing that there's 22 nine-man teams in a in a um, Grand Tour peloton now, which is 198 riders. Uh, if I remember correctly, back in the 80s and 90s, it used to be uh, 20 teams of 10 riders. Yeah, I was going to say it was around. So that's actually two more riders in in the professional peloton than um, than Jim Okowitz is complaining about, and. Um, I, I think he's actually right to a point because back when they you know they had 200 riders in the peloton the the riding and racing was very very different in Europe and also the the road structure is very different it's it's a it's kind of a it's an interesting irony that all of the um, all of the infrastructure in Europe that's made to control traffic and slow people down and also um, you know the the integration of dedicated cycling lanes and cycling infrastructure in Europe is actually is what it's what's making um, professional racing super problematic I mean you know when you race over there you're bombing through uh, like a little tiny town every few miles I mean they're just packed super close together you're always racing through a town and I, I remember even when I raced over there that the main streets and the boulevards through town were even if they weren't that wide they just didn't have a bunch of road furniture and junk in them and now you know there's just so much road furniture when these these guys are racing and um, 
you know, it just I, it, it's just this perfect storm of stuff. There's so much pressure. There's all this road furniture. There's cycling infrastructure of all things, and it just it it just keeps bottlenecking down until someone hits the ground. What blows me away are the roundabouts the guys go into. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, you know, roundabouts are you know. For racing, they're actually not that challenging. I just think there's just so damn many of them. And, oh, yeah. and if you look at it, they don't crash on roundabouts a ton. Eh, they crash coming out of roundabouts, especially in the wet, because you're just carrying so much speed. But, um, you know, I just, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I read a, um, you know, a quote from Jonathan Vodders in uh, Outside Magazine, um, Jim Okowitz talking in Vela News about the size of the Peloton. And I just, I, what I think is it's not any particular one thing. I mean, I, I think you have, you have wildcard teams coming into these Grand Tours and um, they, they may not quite have that racing experience. Um, and then, you know, you have, you have issues with, um, you know, the, the racing has got a lot faster in the last 15 years with, you know, te technological advancements, um, you know, like physiological and, um, you know, with how fast the bikes go, you know, with, with aerodynamics and, and s speed and efficiency of the bikes, the average speeds of races are a lot higher. So um, that, I think that comes into it, that, that, that plays a big part in it. Guys are going faster and they're, um, you know, they spend a lot more time kind of, um, stressed out you know very very stressed out and under a lot of pressure trying to go faster in you know in a in a um, road infrastructure that's that's tighter and more challenging and you know like i wrote down a bunch of other stuff here i mean you know you talk if you want to talk about um you know how brakes work on carbon rims almost everybody in the tour for it. Yeah. is riding carbon rims now you know they're going to be riding carbon wheels and you you know the, the braking dynamic on carbon wheels is completely different from from uh, you know probably when it was, was e what it was even um, 15 20 years ago riding on primarily aluminum rims you know when you when you reef on when you reef the brakes on on carbon rims in the dry n sort of nothing really nothing really happens initially but then you deform the rim and it actually locks up like you'll actually collapse the rim a little bit and create like a, a you know a, a ding in it and it'll um and the rim will lock up instantly and that you know that could have been what what happened in that super high speed crash in stage what was it stage five or something yeah, i think so it was freak that crash was ridiculous um and it, but who knows i mean you don't know what happens but you know the the and it, you know sorry i'm kind of bouncing all over the place here yep. but you get into carbon brakes in the wet carbon rims and and caliper you know caliper rim brakes in the wet and nothing happens at all so you the wheel goes around a couple of times and scuffs off the water uh the whole time that's happening you're wondering wondering if you're going to stop at all and then all of a sudden you get a fistful of brakes a very unpredictable brake and then you know that's what that's why guys lose their front wheels all the time they just well, you gotta, their you're front running wheels. a cork pad as well how yeah. does that operate in the yeah. water when it gets wet Not, Any big I, deal? um i i've ridden the cork pads a little bit and the performance is okay i ride swiss stop yellows if i'm ever riding carbon wheels in fact i set up a set of carbon wheels today and rode them around just to kind of get a get a feel on a rim brake bike of, of sort of you know like how like just to remind myself of how they felt because i ride disc brake bikes a lot now and it, it is pretty weird because the braking dynamic is is quite a bit different and it's unpredictable. So, I mean, I think you have, I, I think, the you know, the carbon rims and the, the way those things break is a factor. But once again, I mean, it's, it's just, it's this perfect storm of everything. It's not just the one thing. Like more stuff I wrote down here. Um, you know, there's more traffic furniture, which we talked about. Um, 
uh, race radios, I think, are just a nightmare. You know, so, th so think about it. You're hammering on the front, trying to go as fast as you can, and you've got some team director screaming in your ear. You, you, and you, it's, it's just chatter. That's why the guys pull the, pull the earplugs out of their, their earbuds out of their ears every now and again and just ride because they just can't. They get so stressed out and so distracted from the chatter going on in their head that's just, that's just pumping straight into their head. That I, 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 just, I don't think they can, they can ride safely and efficiently. So, you know, ra race radios are a nightmare. Um, what about the, the geometry of bikes these days? And I was also thinking weight. You know, I remember the first time I got on some hyper light wheels and descended a mountain pass. That was kind of sketchy. They feel weird, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, bikes are super stiff now. And, um, and they don't have, you don't have a lot of road feel. That's actually a really interesting point. Because all the, you know, I mean, every single bike in the tour is going to be carbon. I mean, there right. might be a couple of aluminum ones, right? But there's certainly no steel. I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, no steel. Yeah, you doubt it, yeah. right? I mean, it's almost certainly all carbon. Um, you know, those bikes are ridiculously stiff, and they don't, you don't actually get that much feedback from the road. Add in, you know, carbon rims. And um, one thing I've noticed the riders doing is a lot of riders, and, you know, once again, it's not everybody, but a good handful of riders have these just ridiculous positions. Like they'll have their stem slammed and they'll be riding a frame that's two sizes too small and they have their, their saddle jacked all the way up. And they might think that that's a really cool guy aero position, but I think it really comprom compromises the way the bike handles and, and, and could really make the bike quite dangerous. Well, that's, I, you know, what do you think of the handling ability of people in the pro peloton these days has there been any change uh, i mean people seem to be racing well, i don't know are they racing more or people really uh you know back like lance really uh, specifically trained for the tour well i i think he sort of started that where you you know you get into a situation where you have people who are straight line superstars you know everybody god i'm gonna sound like such an old fart talking about this stuff but you know Back in the day, I'm going to say it again. All of the all of the riders rode all of the races all of the time. You know, Eddie Merckx did the classics. He did you know he did all of the races all the way through the year, and then he did you know world championships and the late season races. I I think the Tour of Italy used to be late season, right? And then Tour of Spain was early season. I can't remember, but there used to be races. You know, those guys would race 11 months of the year, right. you know, 10 and a half, 11 months of the year, but and they would race everything. So they were good. They, they became good bike handlers and they became good at racing. So I think there is stuff there um, where there's, there's different levels of ability in the peloton. There's some guys that are really, really fantastic. And then there's, you know, there's some guys that are just in way over their head and they're going way too hard and their team director's yelling in their ear to get to the, get to the front and just drill it as hard as they can. And they're in the wrong, you know, they're basically in the wrong place. And they, you know, they... God, I hate to say it, but they, you know, maybe they don't belong at the front. Maybe they, they, don't have, they don't have the breadth of experience. They haven't done enough races. They haven't done enough grand tours to ride the front of a race like that. You know, just hang out down the back and bring us water until you kind of get, you know, until you get better at this sort of thing. Now, I do want to get into sprint finishes here in just a second, but <laughs> I've got to uh, kind of correct myself because I was thinking of Armstrong 
who, I mean, one of the worst crashes I've ever seen, and talk about one I don't like to see, is Baloki. I mean, that's the end of a guy's career. Oh, but yeah. when uh, Armstrong went over the side of the road and handled his bike uh, yeah. down, I mean, a, I mean, that was incredible. I, th I think to an extent he got lucky. I mean, you know, think about whether you're taking a shit ton of drugs, which, is, which he was, or not. You have to think about the luck that's involved in in riding that many miles incident free for you know basically seven grand tours yeah. and winning them. I mean that there's a, there's some luck there. I think I, he really got lucky in that he had a shot out into that field and he could just straighten up and just just bomb into the grass. And I mean there could have been anything in there. There could have been you know there could have been a ditch, could have been an all, like an all pile of trash or something. Who knows? But. Um, he definitely got lucky on that one, but you know there is, there is a little bit of handling in, involved in that kind of stuff. Um, God, yeah. Well, I also luck. have to. I, luck. I, I, I gotta go back here because you said, you know, we were talking about the number of people in the peloton, and uh, you said Akowitz was. Hey, folks! I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mentioning there were 20 teams of 10, I believe. Yeah, well, well, it's, it's, it's 22 said, oh, yeah, teams of 9 now. 180. So I didn't want people to think I was a complete math idiot. <laughs> no, no, it's 198. But, but I it's, did seem to remember the number 180 back from the, the 1980s. I thought that was all there was in the Peloton. Um, no, I don't think so. No? Um, okay. well, well, boy, we well, really should know. Google some of this shit before we come on the radio <laughs> and talk about it. Um, from memory... The the Tour de France used to be twenty teams of ten riders. It did. Okay. Well, um, I had a bad it, head injury lately, it, so. and so now we have twenty. Now we have twenty two teams of nine riders, which is actually one hundred ninety eight riders. So it's yep. two riders less. Um, but to Okowich's point, there's just there's so much more going on now with the road furniture and the infrastructure on the roads and stuff. But I mean, it, it's hard to work that one out because you can only fit so many guys across the road, and at a certain point, it doesn't really matter. How long the peloton is, right? Oh, I mean, how how much does that matter? I think it, it comes down to experience. You know, like a lot of you, okay. Well, let's go back to the point of the Seven Eleven guys going to Europe and racing in the late eighties. They were so in over their head, they were so stressed out. They they were you know the racing was way faster than they were expecting, and it was a different style of racing. You know, like the the positioning on the road and what you you know like like how you rode the race um, and what you did during the race. Was very was very very different to what they were used to domestic racing in the U.S. and I think that's actually a factor of of what's going on now. Is you have you know it, 
European cycling, Pro Tour level cycling, um, has be, it's truly international now. It used to be all European dudes That's and true. a couple of Colombians. And, you know, and then you have dudes like uh, Jock Boyer and those guys going over and kind of making a good Phil Anderson who's from Australia, um, you know, do, doing a pretty good job over there. But in general, everybody learned to ride in the European peloton. All those guys went over to Europe and they, they cut their teeth riding in the European peloton with Europeans riding the European way. So what we oh we no, just there, there's a crash, a crash on, on the tour yeah, of course on the TV while we're sitting here. <laughs> I rest my case. So what do you think about uh, more money coming into cycling and maybe making people take more risks? Oh well, yeah that that comes back to the pressure picture. There's so much pressure on these teams to f- to perform, and I think you know I think they have to get up this. They're expected to be up the front and get um, get airtime, get camera time, be on TV. Um, you know, the, the climber guy, gosh, I can't even... I, I'm not sure even if I could remember his name, if I could pronounce it, the MTN Quebecer guy from Eritrea who's, who's, wear, who's wearing the uh, polka dot jersey right now. I mean, you got me on that one. I'm I mean, that is so awesome. Like, it's... I mean, you know, it's a, it's a full-blown African team and they're, right. leading the, they're leading the mountains jersey right now. I mean, that's really, really cool, but that, it's also a lot of pressure for those teams to go into the European scene and compete at that level and do well. And I think it's just... You know, it, it, to your point, the, with the, with the money, I think the the money picture is a really big deal. Those guys have to, you know, have to put um, marks on the board to well, to justify I mean, to their sponsors. Seventies and eighties, this was your ticket out of digging peat or whatever. You know. Well, okay. So, well, but so how much has that changed then? So you know, it used to be a ticket out of the coal mines back in the day, and you worked your ass off. So maybe that's not it. Maybe it's not money that you know, like the. The economic incentive might be similar to what it always was. I just, you know, if you if you could, if but you, you weren't going to be a, a, a big money down. superstar. I mean, that was it has changed. I think. Yeah, um, but you but you could actually make a decent living and Correct. not die in the coal mines, right. which you know that that would be a reasonable incentive for, for a, me for a few years yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if we're making any sense in this show right now at all but I, I i think it just it comes down to just a perfect storm of so many different things you know you have riders from all over the world um ride you know learning to ride in in different regions and coming to europe instead of all the you know riders going to europe and learning learning that european riding style which you would have seen back in the 70s 80s and into the 90s and then you know like you have you know you know you have carbon carbon bikes um carbon rims unpredictable braking surfaces ridiculous positions yeah and then you can throw all of that out the window and you look at tony martin he was third wheel the other day he was he was riding in the front of the group he was exactly where he should have been he did he 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 was absolutely textbook perfect even for that finish he just he knew to stay at the front he knew to stay out of trouble, and he still just, in a in a moment of of distraction, overlapped the the one the rider in front, uh, overlapped his wheel, and went down. And that's it. You're done. Your collarbone's broken, and you're out of the freaking tour. And I just I I mean, it was so frustrating to see Tony Martin do that because it was, 
such a ridiculous mistake to make. Oh, I was it just psyched didn't to see him in yellow. That I know it was so cool, and you know he's been dreaming that, dreaming of, of that course. his entire life. He's tried a bunch of times. He, you know, he wins time trials, been a time trial world champion, done all this stuff. Never actually worn yellow. He finally gets in yellow, and he friggin' botches it by overlapping a wheel. I mean, that is the cardinal sin in road racing. You you just don't overlap wheels with people. You know, just like butter. <laughs> Rubens. Just like butter, making no sense Rubens at all. Rubens Burger Bistro <laughs> in Boulder, Colorado. Um, that actually leads me right into my next point. I'm sorry I just grabbed your leg under the table. Ooh, that was uh, nice. I like that. Okay, good. <laughs> it was just that like was butter. <laughs> <laughs> What's, I had mentioned I uh, wanted to talk about the, uh, the mass sprint, you know, a flat stage. That always used to be where, oh, my gosh, the big crash is going to take place. And... Now it's all over the course. I mean, they're, and they're terrible crashes. Yeah, the, the crashes are just, I mean, I, even though I tried not to see that crash the other day. Oh. Sorry, uh, our we're, dinner's We're coming. actually being uh, served some food right there now. There's, There's your French my, onion my soup, lovely sir. French onion soup. And your, and your and salad. my salad. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay, now I got my food. I promise I won't be and crunching back. the salad. Yeah, we're <laughs> back. Okay. I'm stealing chips from across the table here. That's perfect. So, again, that was, you know, crashing all around the course instead of just the, the mass sprint. And yeah. I mean, I know crashes happened everywhere, but it just seems like now they're everywhere. I mean, what we're watching right now, you know, the guy's in the, the lead car waving his arms, telling the peloton to slow down, neutralizing the race. And uh, I mean, it's terrible. Well, that was actually really interesting. After they had they had one enormous horror crash, and there's dudes lying all over the ground, and then less than a kilometer later, there's another crash, and all of the medical staff are back at the first crash, tending to the first people. There's no one to tend to the people in the second crash, which is, I mean, the logistics of of you know having a lot of crashes. You you, you know you start to realize how difficult it is to tend to all these people when they're going down all the time. So they neutralized the race and stopped it. But did you see the reaction of the riders when they stopped the race? They were freaking out. Yep. They, they, were, they were just absolutely furious that the race had been stopped. They're, you know, this yelling and swearing at the race referee. I mean, it, it's just, what were they so fired up about? I mean, what are these guys on that, make, that made them so wound up about the race stopping? It's just, you know, it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of tension. There's a lot of a lot of guys just fr just uh, freaking out way too much. So, what do you think's happening at uh, lower levels of racing? I mean, these are the best in the world up here right now. Yeah. And um, are you seeing an increase in crashes in Cat One Two, Cat Three Four? I mean, well, I hate to go to four because that was always the hamburger field. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's a scary one. Um, I, I think um, it's funny you should ask because in the, the last couple of weeks I've been just watching the juniors that I coach in cyclocross in the winter. You know, I obviously keep up keep up with the kids um, in the summertime when they're racing the road, and they some of those guys seem to be crashing a lot too. You know, one of the one of the kids I know really well the other day was um, trying to get around a, a rider who had who dropped off the main group, and he passed him on the outside going around. Uh, you know, like a, a pretty aggressive corner and so he he didn't set up right for the corner tried to pass the guy on the outside ran out of room hit the hay bales and crashed and why i, I want to know he didn't say i learned that from my coach yeah <laughs> i hope he didn't pin that one on me um 
I want to know who, who is telling these kids not to do stuff like that. You don't pass someone on the outside going around the corner. You, I mean, you don't, you don't know if this person's going to slip out or not, if they're going to fall down. See, it's interesting to me you're bringing this up with cyclocross because I was just going to ask that uh, with the increase in popularity of cyclocross being so huge, I would think that your handling skills would get better. And I wonder, does that make you take more risks when you're out in the road? Uh, maybe. I mean, a lot of the people who come into cyclocross actually aren't that good at bike handlers, and they kind of learn it on the fly. I mean, there's still a bunch of there's there's a bunch of really um, big um, do not do items in cyclocross. I mean, you people get really really wound up about passing other people in in cyclocross. You know, I have to pass this person right now and get in front of them, and it often creates a really scary and dangerous situation. And the person who's the person who's doing the passing often wastes a lot of energy making that pass, and they end up just falling apart and blowing up anyway. And this is something I work on with the juniors quite a bit. It's you know if you come up behind somebody and you want to pass them, just hold off for a corner or two. Like pick the right spot, pick a place that where you're going to waste the least amount of energy, where it's efficient to just just kind of slip by this person, or you know switch up your line so you roll by them basically for free without expending energy any energy at all. And um, you know, make it a make it a cheap pass for want of a better word. And I, I don't, I'm not sure I know how that would would translate into road racing. Um, but the I have been talking to some of the juniors who race around Boulder here, and they seem to be crashing quite a bit. And I'm they just do. I'm just wondering if if they're trying too hard, if there's too much on the line, if they they're feeling too much pressure from. Their, you know, their perceived team or their family or whoever it is that's that you know that's that's putting pressure on them. I mean, my mentor when I started racing in '84, '85, was a guy who started out as a BMX racer, uh, then started racing motorcycles, and then got into road racing. His handling skills were unbelievable. Yeah, but but that probably wouldn't do you any good in the Tour de France. Well, exactly. Yeah. So you know, you get in the Tour de France, you're going to go on a billion miles an hour on your on your crazy ass carbon bike, with your crazy carbon rims, and your team director's yelling in your ear, and there's tra- there's traffic furniture all over the road, and you're going way faster than than you really probably should be, and then you're trying to ride the front when you have no no business being there. I mean, that actually that staccato sentence I just made really kind of sums it all up. It's not it's not just the one thing. It's just this perfect storm of stuff that just conspires to to um, put so much collective stress on the peloton that they just keep falling over. So what do you think it's going to take to make a change uh, really from the top down? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it, there's going to have to be a lot of stuff done. I mean, I, I think Jim Okowitz, t- you know, to an extent is right there's the same amount of riders in the in the tour as there used to be but the game has changed quite a bit the, you know they go the, the races are actually going significantly faster um you have all this traffic furniture and junk maybe reducing the, the size of the peloton would be a good idea i mean i'm i've you i'm pretty opinionated about the race radio thing i think race radios are terrible you know, you, you have you, what what you have is riders that just turn into robots, and all they do is look down at their power meter and listen to the chatter in their in their headset, and just go in a straight line as hard as they can. I mean, they don't they don't learn to race, they don't learn positioning, they don't learn their place in the peloton, they don't 
they don't um, they don't learn how to um, you know calculate how to race and and how a race is developing um, by themselves as they're racing. They just have someone relaying the information to them into a headset. So I think doing away with race radios would would probably be a really really fantastic start. And I know there's a billion people who would argue that up one side and down the other. Oh, it's it's safer this and it's more communication that and. I just don't agree. I really don't. Learn to race your friggin' bike and learn to race properly and learn to be alert and perceptive and um, and ready for anything that comes at you and you're going to be just fine. Our time is totally up now. But What? Uh, oh, man, that's a, we did another one. See, we, I, we only got through the first page of all the stuff I wanted to talk about. Well, we are going to talk about more because I wanted to see what you thought. Have you spoken with any of the European pros that have come over to the United States and done tour of California, U.S. Pro Challenge, oh. where they cannot use race radios. That is an interesting point. Um, uh, and the short answer would be no. I have not. And that. So maybe mm. before we have our next show, we could connect with one of the European pros and see what they think. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I would love to know how they feel about um, being in a race where there is no race radio, and you, well, what are, are all the U.S. domestic races no no race radio, no radio. now? Nope. None at all. Not that I know of. Ah, oh. hmm. I wish we'd thought of this before we did the show, because yeah, that's, that's okay. actually a really, really good idea. I and thought it would make another good show. Did you just think of it right then? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay, well, it's too late. You said uh, power meters and race radio, and I thought, well, we talked about power meters. We can, you know, have you. Uh, give us a good rundown of all the race radios next. But. Yeah, let's uh, let's see if we can find that out for the next show and talk to someone. I would, I'd love to get, um, you know, a top, uh, one of the top Euro pros takes on how they feel about racing without radios. Yeah, I think that'd be no problem. So let's do that. All right. Now I think it'll be just like butter. Till next time. And this is just like butter. <laughs> Rubens Burger Bistro in Boulder, Colorado. Thanks for listening. Michael Robson, appreciate it. Good night. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.